Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on guys, it's Dan. And this is Polos and Khakis. Today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Aaron Moore. Uh, Dan, do you want to tell us about Dr. Moore? I most certainly would. So Dr. Moore, or Aaron, that we are allowed to call her now, uh, (laughs) she earned her BS at the University of New Hampshire. She then went on to get her master's at JMU and her PhD at the University of South Carolina. She then moved to Virginia to be an athletic trainer at Liberty University. And then we met her at the University of South Florida when she was our assistant professor in the athletic training program. And she is now a clinical education coordinator at the University of Virginia. And she does research focusing on energy availability, the female athlete triad, and REDS. I forget what it's called. Reds. Reds. It's just Reds. Okay. (laughs) It's just Reds. But yes, Dr. Moore, it's very good to see you, and we're very happy to have you on. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. Well, I feel like my first question for you is what got you interested in the research that you do? Um, so I think working with athletes and being one myself, um, what kind of affects an athlete's performance? Because that's the priority, right? We want to perform well, um, and we want to be healthy. So especially when I switched over to more the athletic training side of things, how do I keep my athletes healthy and performing at a high level, right? And that's twofold. We can't always, right, especially when we're dealing with injuries and things like that. What We don't realize that there's a lot that goes into our injuries that could be prevented by sleeping, by eating healthy, right? Um, and so when I went to South Carolina, my eventual mentor, um, Tony torres McGehee, she studies female athlete triad. Um, and so that's kind of where I started under her. Um, and I was really excited about that. And it's just kind of taken off now and it's, a huge topic, um, especially when you talk about the mental health side of performance as well. And that's something that kind of is incorporated in Reds and, and female athlete, and male athlete triad. Um, and it, it's kind of looking at just performance overall. And that's really cool because I think that's, as an athlete, as an athletic trainer, that's what you want for your athlete or for yourself. So mm-hmm. it's kind of where it all started. Yeah. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. I never considered female athlete try to reds as a part of like overall sport performance, but like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just crazy. The progression of sports, like back in the day, it was just show up, practice and go home. And mm-hmm. now there's so many in- intricate things that can just go on to, to the background of like, how do we perform better? Like, you know, sleep, nutrition, hydration, have all come to the forefront. And you know, now the female athlete try and reds and all that stuff that everyone just takes a lot. It's just, it's cool, but also like, weird at the same time that how far you know the sports performance side has come since you know the 50s and 60s i think part of it is if you look at i mean follow the money right unfortunately that's kind of a big thing you follow the money and what's happened especially now it's going to get really interesting um and i think you guys actually posted something about it today on your insta is now we're having college athletes that are making money and are signing contracts and when you look at the money, you look at the contracts, you look at the games being shown on TV. Back in the 50s and 60s, we weren't watching sports like we do now. I mean, we literally have 24-7 sports. That didn't used to happen. Um, we now have betting games. Uh, you know, you could bet on pretty much everything from bull riding through, you know, Friday Night Lights, high school games, which is kind of sad and disturbing. We've got Friday Night Lights on TV. That used to never happen, unless maybe local news came and watched. Um, so I think that's really where that push comes from. And now it's how do you get better and how do you get better legally and also 
the gray area of it's not illegal yet. So because they can't <laughs> figure it out. You know, I think I'm old enough to kind of remember when Balco was kind of a big thing where they were literally testing their athletes and giving them different strains that weren't being caught in drug tests to get them performing better. Um, you know, until then people finally catch up to them and then they create more, you know, strains of different type of androgens and um, things like that to try and get their athletes better. So it's been a push that's been coming, but it's really following the money. Kind of going to the, the, the gambling side, like during COVID, like you could Google like marble races and people <laughs> were like gambling on marble races. Like it's actually absurd at how the, the measures mm-hmm. that people go on to try and make money on sports and things like that. So people make a living out of it, but, but good for them. Um, yeah, it's, I think as an athletic trainer, well, as an athlete, you weren't allowed to bet and gamble as an NCAA mm-hmm. athlete, um, back in the day, at least, um, and as an athletic trainer, you really weren't allowed to either, right? Because you kind of have insider information. So you couldn't be betting on your own team when you know, like, oh, my star player's out. Can't really bet on that. Uh, wouldn't be really, it's a little unethical. So for me, I've just never betted. It's just something I don't do. I just, I think it's an unhealthy habit at times, or it could become one. So why, mm-hmm. you know, don't tempt the devil kind of thing. <laughs> so today we're kind of focusing on the female athlete triad and reds. Um, obviously, uh, Dr. Moore and Liz are pros at it since they uh, got some some published work. So congratulations to the both of you guys on that accomplishment. Um, I was able to read it today. Um, I had to get it sent to Liz because apparently it's twenty four ninety nine online. So I could have just sent had, you the, well, the hard copy. Yeah, Liz that yeah. did that. You know, <laughs> but it's shocking. Got like, the originals. Yeah. Well, good for you it's for selling and a lot of hot. iterations of drafts too oh yeah, yeah. like 16 different versions <laughs> 24 no, no, no. it's pretty it's pretty steep price but uh so if you had to give an elevator pitch to someone or just kind of give you know the basic you know non-healthcare professional version of what the female athlete triad is or what reds is you know how would you describe it to them and how would you properly educate them on you know like the signs to look out for yeah, so I think, well, so this is a, a little bit of a spiel is that Reds and the female athlete triad, and now the male athlete triad is also being recognized by the triad coalition. They're similar, but also different. So you have to kind of understand that um, and, and their approaches. Reds is much more of an approach about performance, whereas I feel like the triad coalition is a little bit more about health that assists with performance. And those are very different operating systems um, when you actually break them down. Um, so the goals are the same to have healthy athletes, but the the way they kind of approach it are different. So pretty much the athlete triad is, and reds falls under this, but they add in a lot more other things into their cogs uh, of a wheel of reds. But the athlete triad, where it all kind of started for females or males, is a three-tiered system. It's a spectrum of anywhere from being really healthy in regards to bone health or really bad, so all the way down to osteoporosis. But you don't have to be at the furthest um, venue anymore. That's an older model of you know having anorexia, um, osteoporosis, and um amenorrheic so it's kind of a spectrum of the hypogonadism so your low t low testosterone for females that would be um something wrong with your period essentially you have some type of period misfunction uh, malfunctioning uh bone health could be compromised um and then your energy availability can be low and that can be with or without an eating disorder um and i think that's where it's really tricky because there's people there's athletes out there that aren't eating enough because they just don't have the knowledge to eat well and then there are athletes that are restricting their food, and that's a different person, different type of athlete if they're restricting. And then there's the people that have full-blown eating disorders. Um, and so that's kind of those three areas of the spectrum that we look at. And then through those, you have a multitude of different things that could 
could play out and that's where red kind of focuses more on is the whole aspect so triad kind of takes those three and then there's other things that go with it like mental health issues anxiety depression things like that um and reds kind of looks at that at all systems but triad does affect all systems the, the triad does affect them all reds just uh, puts that out front um i think in with their model with their pictures that they use like their figures that they use and things like that yeah. Do you hear a lot of the same kind of misconceptions about female athlete triad and reds or, um, or do most people get it right? Um, no. Um, so I think the problem, and even in our profession as athletic trainers, we're still using outdated numbers and models. We're still using the, um, previous model of an athlete triad is the female athlete triad is anorexia or an eating disorder amenorrhea and osteoporosis. We're still using outdated things. There's you know, still questions that pop up on quiz bowls I've seen, as well as the BOC questions. Um, and so that needs to be fixed, right, within our own profession. I will say like things that you're seeing out on you know, Instagram when you look at dietitians, um, and then depending on what kind of camps people are in, um, a lot of them are going more towards reds, I think because one, it's, it's backed by the IOC, um, which mm. is a very credible institution, right? When you kind of read reds there's a lot of wiggle room in the diagnoses part of trying to figure out if they work on a green light red light yellow light system and for clinicians for example they actually used the scat format to try and use that as their um kind of their diagnoses but there's a lot of gray area and the other thing that i don't necessarily like about reds um that i find concerning is that they actually put in sport performance as a category of making decisions. Mm. And I don't like from the, the healthcare side of things, I don't, that shouldn't be a factor of if they're unhealthy, it shouldn't matter if we're in season, if we're in conference tournaments, right. If they're on a broken leg, they shouldn't be playing. Right. But we right. kind of, and it, and it, unfortunately it's part of the nature of the sports. So, right. Like, especially if you think about an Olympic athlete, and I mean, and this is where I have to like put my athlete brain versus my athletic trainer brain because they don't they don't really talk much. Um, <laughs> I would probably make that same decision as an athlete, right? Like I'm fine, I can go. Um, there is research that has shown, um, especially in males, they looked at lean um, Olympic athletes and and they were really low with testosterone, leptin levels, um, and they were literally at the Olympics competing at high levels and meddling and they were doing it to be lean and they were restricting food and, and trying to be elite and they were elite, but they weren't healthy, you know? So mm -hmm. it's kind of this interesting dilemma of that. But yeah, so a lot of people get, um, I think a lot of people understand reds. Um, I don't think a lot of people truly understand the triad, especially um, the male side of it. I think that it's so new though. So that's, that's mm -hmm. also something that we need to figure out. And we don't have as much data. The triad for females is over 30 years old. Whereas males is since like about 2016. Right. I think it's that way because males are just more prone to just stuffing their face with food where, and they're not really concerned. They're not, yeah, through a point, but like, you know, I've, I feel like, you know, females are more concerned about like body image and things like that than males. You know, like you said to an extent, um, yeah, so I, I just feel research that shows that um, Sunga Borjon, um, she's part of the Reds coalition with um, the IOC. She used to be with the Triad as well, um, and she's actually looked at a lot of athletes versus non-athletes, and it doesn't matter male or female. Athletes tend to be more focused on food or restrict 
or have disordered behaviors when it comes to food. So it doesn't really matter. Um, women do tend to be, we definitely have more women. The other thing too, though, is, and this goes across the board for a lot of men in a lot of areas, they underreport. Um, and so a lot of males are going to underreport. And then also there's something that I kind of talked about with my mentor. Um, a lot of the things that we use when we talk about disordered eating or eating disorders, one of the biggest questions is this drive for thinness. And that's much more of a female versus now when you look at males, it's a drive for leanness in males. But we don't ask those questions. We ask thin and guys are like, I don't want to be thin, right? I want to look and if you look at society right now, you look at what we see, right? You get Thor, you get The Rock, right? Like you you get Captain America. Like these are not tiny little guys that you, so when you look at Batman and like go back to like the 1960s and 70s of Batman and Robin and Superman on the, the heroes on the TV and Spider-Man versus now, they're ripped and big, but they're lean. And I think that's the difference of languages between males and females. So I think some of our questionnaires need to change. It's more specific to male driven questions. Um, and then underreporting, I don't think we're asking males enough because we have that assumption of, oh, this isn't a guy issue, this is a girl issue. Well, no, their guys are, go look at all, like half your meatheads in the gym and they don't eat certain carbs. They own, they overeat protein. They, they're restrict, if you're restricting food, that's not an eating disorder, but that's some type of pathological behavior that why are you restricting, people won't eat cookies for six months. like okay that's that's restricting like you know mm -hmm. so so i think there's a little bit of that misconception but yeah the research is males are not as driven but i think too the other issue with the male is they burn so much more so i think they're the more inadvertent um mm -hmm. lea so meaning that they don't they're just not eating enough for what they're burning right if you take some of these cyclists some of these rowers they're burning over three thousand five thousand calories that's a lot to put back into your body like, have you tried to eat 5,000 calories in a day? Like, that's, you know, it sounds all great, but, like, that's hard to do, actually, and do that consistently when you're training. So I think some of it's, like, is, is more that side of it and not truly an eating disorder necessarily, but maybe some pathogenic behaviors, maybe just inadvertent LEA. Um, I think the other thing, too, is that males, um, male reproductive hormones are more robust than women reproductive hormones, so males can bounce back. Um and we've seen that in some of the literature, especially when you look back at Fredell et al. He looked at um, U.S. Army Rangers and during Ranger School, and they they the ones that graduated graduated about 4.5 percent uh, body fat, so they got really skinny and they were under multi stressors, so lack of sleep, a lot of stress. They were in starvation states, and what was interesting is um, some hormones went increased, like cortisol, cholesterols increased. Um, but your leptin, your insulin, your testosterone all decreased during a certain phases. Then after about four weeks, they had a refeeding and everything went back to normal after just one massive refeeding period for a week. <laughs> Women are not going to respond that way. So that's also another issue of, I think men are going to be harder to find when those are happening because they can rebound really quickly. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's another issue too, right? If you restrict for a couple weeks and then all of a sudden like, okay, I'm having a rest week and I'm eating like the same amount. I'm going to re the males are going to rebound. Whereas a woman wouldn't, unfortunately. So. Hmm. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I think the, uh, under eating concept really hits on because working with my men's soccer team last semester, all the guys are like, you know, yeah, like I'm eating enough, I'm eating enough. And they tell me what they eat. And it's like, do you realize you need to burn so much calories? Like just to maintain like basic metabolic function, like in your body. 
Like, I don't think they it gets what fifteen to two two thousand calories just like to break even, and then on top of you know we're practicing going to class and things like that. Like you see the light bulbs going in their head. It's like oh yeah, like I'm not even close to where I should be to even like maintain like the weight that I should be at. Um, you know, so I, it gets to the point where yeah, like I eat enough, but it's not like enough to the point where like we're talking about performance and you know having the right levels. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting too, a lot of freshmen males, a lot of freshmen in general, when they come to college, for example, you know, they start, if you have a walking campus, you, you could start walking up to three, four miles a day, depending on your class schedule, right? And they don't even think about that, that it's it's not intentional exercise, but it's going into your your total daily energy expenditure that you used to not probably do in high school. Most people who probably either rode the bus or drove to high school, you drive around everywhere else. Whereas college, a lot of the colleges out there, you're walking everywhere. You're walking to the dining hall, you're walking to classes, you're walking to practice, you're walking home from practice. Um, you know, you want to go to your friend's house, you walk there. Um, you know, and so that, that inadvertent kind of exercise that's very low level, but still a lot more activity than you kind of realize. And so, you'll you'll kind of notice that freshman 15 that they talk about a lot doesn't really happen on those walking campuses because you're walking everywhere. Um, Mm. But yeah, no, guys, we don't, I don't think we teach enough in even middle school or high school enough about what is actual nutrition, what is actually healthy, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. And then, you know, you bring in the societal components of it, you know, there's not very many rom-coms or funny movies or, you know, all these different movies out there about working out and living a healthy lifestyle, right? Like we don't see that. We only see like the really, you know, crazy side of things, at least for women, but then, you know, men too, like, um, you know, you don't see Thor out there working out and, you know, Captain America doing some push-ups and stuff very often. So, <laughs> You know, it's just it's just interesting where that all kind of plays into all of it. And it's it's interesting what we see um, and how much we're actually intaking that we don't realize. Mm. So when it comes to like when you have athletes that you're concerned about, um, who is the the go to when it comes to referring for further care and management and evaluation? Because I feel like. For a lot of general practitioners, REDS is going to fly under the radar, like especially in those smaller schools where you don't necessarily have a gen med physician that practices specifically for athletes. So like, how do you like relay that message or um, try to inform them enough to feel like care is being adequately provided? That's a great question. Um, you know, especially for your middle school, your high school athletes, um, you know, if you can refer to an RD, I think they're going to be much more educated on this, um, much both triad and reds. Um, if you follow anybody on, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, your RDs are talking about this stuff. And so that's really awesome. Um, you know, and then other than that, besides doing your homework and just seeing what, they specialize in and if they specialize in athletes that hopefully means they know some stuff if not that's where as the healthcare provider as the athletic trainer this is part of i in my opinion that would be part of advocating for your athlete right having those conversations with that doctor um getting information to that doctor right you know the triad has a beautiful web uh, website that has a bunch of information that you can kind of look up providers in your area that do know about um the athlete triad so that's a helpful tool from them Mm. um 
they also have literature on there for lay people. They have literature more for, you know, the nerds like me. Um, so that's helpful. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think one, if you can get into an RD, that's going to be a, a much easier way to get that done. Um, and then, you know, but it's somewhat of a, a crapshoot, if excuse the language of trying to figure out which docs know about this, or if they're going to treat it appropriately, because that's kind of what, you know, bringing in your RCAT that you wrote, you know, that's, that's kind of a big deal of mismanagement of this. Um, so yeah, I had a high school cross country runner who came to me and she was it was textbook she was like I was gonna say classic yeah she was like hey Miss Liz I haven't gotten my period in a couple months and I was like sick awesome and I asked her like what are you eating how much are you eating how often are you working out outside of your your runs because that's another one that I feel like nobody was taking into account that she was like lifting four days a week on top of running like eight miles a day and so her parents were like oh we'll just take her to the pediatrician like maybe maybe they'll know because she's only 15 and pediatrician just said you know what your hormones are just like still balancing out yeah you know you're just it takes time and I was like no 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 we're not gonna like continue to do this for several more months while you quote unquote balance out no but of course to a parent like what do I know as an athletic trainer if her doctor told her that everything's fine and it was infuriating to say the least and luckily I had a good enough relationship with the athlete where I could just say to her directly like I want you to try eating x amount of this this and this like I want you to cut back on your lift days like we got to We got to balance this out. And fortunately, it only took two months to get her at least like to get a period. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. The Holy Spirit. But it was rough to like have to. I felt like I was colluding with my patient against a doctor and her parents because nobody else thought it was an issue. Because at that adolescent age, for some reason, everyone thinks you're not supposed to get an irregular period. Yeah, and that's that's like an old adage, and you know, it's it's so interesting looking back because I think people, I think people in our generation and like a little bit younger are so used to seeing female athletes that you really don't remember the first woman went running the Boston Marathon where they literally mm-hmm. and like we'll see pictures every once in a while pop up every year, but I'm like, no, do you really realize that we didn't have sports, like we didn't have scholarships, like. And that was not very that long ago. Like, and even the science behind how they, they literally believed that a woman would like die trying to run a marathon. Like we, it would harm our bodies <laughs> to be athletic. Like literally we would just implode or something. I'm not even sure exactly what they thought, but they thought like horrific things were going to happen to us. And now, and like, I'm such privileged that I, you know, you look at the, you know, the original, like, I call them the original Olympic teams, but you look at the original women's soccer, like the Mia Hams, the Julie Foudy's, Joy Fawcett, Lily Chastain, like these women not only were amazing women athletes, they went and had babies and came back. You've got Allison Felix, who's now the most decorated women's uh, track and field athlete, or any athlete, sorry, track and field athlete, who got dropped from a, la- from a brand because she got pregnant and then came back and won some medals. I'm just saying, like, so no, our bodies can do amazing things. Just 
we got to just keep things regulated. And the sad part is, is there's actually a pretty easy solution when it comes to reds and triad. And it literally is food. It's just when that relationships get really bad or there's not knowledge of how do I eat. Um, and yeah, I had college athletes that in season they would lose their period and then it go home for Christmas break. It come back when we got back to 20 hours in some in Springs, they lose their period. It come back when we dropped down to eight hours and I'm like, they were at 11 and 12% body fat was their quote unquote fighting weight. And I'm like, this is too small, but they didn't want to listen because they're being praised and they're starters. And this is just what they know and they're successful at it, but they weren't breaking. That's the hard part too, is when it's not to the point of your body's breaking, like, <laughs> because let's be honest. I mean, as women, it's sometimes, you know, not the worst thing not to have your period, right? Like it's actually kind of convenient. So you're kind of like, Oh, this is okay. Um, but it's not healthy. And it, so you know, that's where it kind of comes down to. And especially at 15, 16, like that's, those are such critical ages of building bone for later mm -hmm. on for osteoporosis. And that's the thing too, you know, you're having to think at a 15 year old, which they're not going to do about when you're 60, 70 years old and you only, you only can build up to about age 30. So if you're not having your period from 15 to say 20, those are, that's five years. You're never going to get back of building bone of building your health when you're 60 70 years old and that's going to be terrible if you you know so it's, it's definitely it's hard to combat that and i think hopefully you know like doing these podcasts you know sh always sharing like on my instagram i'm always sharing female athlete triad stuff i'll share red stuff i don't actually have a problem with reds i think some people there's kind of a little bit of a war sometimes but i don't care I, it's similar information so as long as we're being healthy let's share this information of that it's okay to eat it's okay to eat carbs it's okay to eat fats it's okay to have ice cream you know if you're eating it three meals a day that's a different conversation maybe that's another eating disorder we need to work on but you know it's it, it's okay to eat and you should be eating because you should be fueling your body um and that's not the message getting out we have this is the ideal runner body this is the ideal volleyball body this is the ideal this is what you need to wear you know um there's a lot that's a lot to work on and things are positively happening like uh, beach volleyball a couple years ago for NCA changed rules in regards to uniforms. They have mm -hmm. to wear a tank instead of bikinis now. And that's huge. But then you also have a, a pro volleyball team beach team getting fined for wearing spandex and not bikini bottoms, you know, so we're getting there, right? <laughs> Slowly getting there. <laughs> One of my concerns always, and I, Dan, I feel like you've seen this too, um, is like the, the amateur dietitians or the amateur nutritionists on like Instagram and Twitter. And they're like, this yeah. is what you should eat in a day. Or like, watch what I eat today. And it's like, oh God, no, please. Nobody watch this. It's not good for you. But like, there's nobody to like censor those things and be like, this is not correct nutrition. Like, please don't eat like this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see it. I mean, I think just the narrative of diets in general is getting like out of, like just out of hand. Like, you see like the intermittent fasting, you see the keto, you see like these like six week crash diets for you know vacations and weddings and all this other stuff. Um, and I think just the big thing with the diet is like if if you look at it and you're like, is this sustain? Like, can I start this diet and sustain it for fifteen plus years? And if you can't, there's really no need for you to really be on it. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I follow all the fitness people. I follow all the strength coaches, you know, all, all on Instagram. It's really where I get all my knowledge is, is Instagram these days. 
And it's just like, you need to have balance, like just like anything else in your life. Like if you want to have a couple slices of pizza, cool, go ahead and do it. But like at the same time, like are you eating fruit, eating vegetables? Like, you know, you can have both and still be very healthy and still like get the proper nutrition that you need. I think it's just, you know, giving that, you know, 15 or 16 year old to, you know, make that push like, hey, like it's okay to have, you know, whatever on a Friday night and still be able to perform at your you know tournament on Saturday. Like it's okay. Um, not, not like, oh, like you can't eat anything from Friday night to Saturday morning. Like that's just, I feel like just the narrative of, of diets in general just need to change. Yeah. I mean, everything's a fad and it's interesting because intermittent fasting, it's, it's supposed to be used medicinally in, in regards to a medicinal diet, just like mm-hmm. keto is supposed to be a medicinal diet, not for the masses. Um, you know, and it's interesting because people are getting smarter in their arguments, which is kind of scary, right? <laughs> um, it, it's complicated. You know, so again, I go back to, there's nothing wrong with nutritionists and whatnot, but again, there's a difference and this is where knowledge is power, right? Um, knowing the difference between a nutritionist, a dietitian, and right, like a registered dietitian. Those are different, different things. And I don't think people understand that and so that's why I was saying earlier, like a registered dietitian, um, because there are some states that don't regulate nutritionists and they, anyone could just say, I'm a nutritionist and they don't regulate that. Whereas a registered dietitian is going to have to be regulated by the health department of your state. Right. Um, and so it's definitely a different level of knowledge and different level of experience that's coming from that RD versus just, just, you know, your weekend nutritionist person. Um, and again, not that nutrition are naturally bad, but it's just like CrossFitters and you know, personal trainers, like you have some that, you know, went to school, have an ex-phys degree, super intelligent, really great. Or you have some people that they went to the two day weekend workshop and that's, they took a test and they're good to go. Those are very different coaches that I'm going to want to be with one and not the other. Right. Um, you know, and so I think just, and it's unfortunate because we're not one, you don't know to do that until you've probably suffered a negative ramification. Like someone mm. broke you, something got hurt you know, you got rhabdo, you know, things like that. And you're like, hmm, that probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> like, um, you, you know, and so that's the frustrating part. And, you know, Instagram, social media is like, I just want to be like, where are the fact checkers on that? You know, you mm. guys want to fact check these other things. Can we fact check these things too? Because that's not real. Um, you know, so that's the frustrating part. But yeah, you, you just have to combat it with truth and like try to keep, you know, I always try to repost and tag people or repost people's things on purpose so that people will see it and hopefully go to it. And I, that's why I also don't like, I'm not super flashy on Instagram. I don't think my, my public page, at least um, I keep it open. Anyone can follow me for that reason, but I just repost as much as I can. Like when the females, you try, I'd post something, I'm posting it. If a new a dietitian's posting something, if a registered dietitian's posting it, I repost it. Um, there's other places that are really awesome. Like, a lot of the sports nutritionists from universities are starting to really post things out and UNC's does a really nice job. I really like their posts that they have out of their nutrition department, um, their nutrition program. Um, I think I follow Vandy. Um, one of my favorite dietitians I've actually worked with her, um, Kelly Pritchett. She has her own Instagram page that, and she posts a lot of stuff. There's another former, um, um, she's a former athlete, Maria something. I forget what it is, but, um, she was a former synchro swimmer. Um, and she's a registered dietitian and she posts a lot about, um, just health. Like what is healthy food? Like cookies are healthy, right? It's food. You're fueling your body. It's just, you know, so are vegetables, you know? So it's, 
it's just combating misinformation and, and just trying to educate your athletes. And, and, you know, we talk about that in athletic training a lot with our students of constantly educating your athletes, advocate for them and educate, um, you know, so it's, it sucks though. That's the, the downside of anybody can post whatever they want. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you see the, the fitness people that, you know, have the six pack, they're toned and they're like, Oh, like this is what I eat in a day. And then they're like, it's not know, even, they're it's... like, they're like, they're like five, seven. <laughs> And a girl's like, you know, five nine, five ten. Like, oh yeah, I can eat the same thing. And it's no, that just not. But it's not even us. that. You've got angles, and you've got yeah, that too. Photoshop's a really good thing. And they could just be lying the whole time. I'm just saying, like, it's not real. Don't. <laughs> nothing's real on the internet. Just at this point, just don't believe it. If if it's a picture and not a moving, <clears throat> then I'm not believing that's their body anymore. Because. No. My favorite Instagram still of all time is is Strength Coach with a whiteboard because they make fun of burpees, and I think it's the greatest (laughs) thing ever. I repost it every single time because I think burpees is the most useless exercise ever. That's a separate conversation. No, it's okay. Shout out CrossFit. It's not a useful exercise. I'm also really curious, like, how much of our sport nutrition is lacking for female athletes because so much exercise physiology research is based only on male athletes. Like, how can we actually get an accurate understanding of what a female athlete needs in terms of fuel and recovery if we haven't really assessed how a female athlete is different from a physiological standpoint than a male athlete. So it's like the double whammy of lack of information of like, we lack research and then people say whatever the frick comes to their brain. And like, it, it makes me really tired. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, this woman, Alyssa, oh, I'm going to say her last name wrong. Olenek, um, little, uh, the list method it should follow her on instagram she's actually getting her phd out of georgia right now and she already started kind of her own company and she puts out programs for weightlifting and also hybrid weight um, weightlifting and running programs and that's what her research is on is it has been and is continuing your dissertations continue on exercise for women like what is actually happening with exercise and physiology for women and you're exactly right that's exactly what we need right now um, we, we need to know that difference because all of our recommendations, a lot of our stuff is based off males, um, and they work differently. Um, they metabolize at a faster rate than women. They have different metabolic, um, demands than we do. Um, and even just their body composition, they're like, you know, whether you want to produce a child or not, a female body is designed to have the capability of doing that. So we're inherently always going to be a little bit more fat to be, have that protective mechanism of if we ever are carrying a child, we need to be able to do that. And men don't have to do that. That's never been going to be a requirement for their body to do that. Uh, but yeah, we, we need to have more research on physiology for women. And I think it's coming, especially out of Penn State. Um, you know, Dr. DeSouza, Mayor Jane DeSouza and Nancy Williams have been huge proponents for female athlete triad and they just put out um, a refuel study of six to um, six to 12 months, uh, 12 month studies of refueling and it was a random control trial. It's the first of its kind on females um, and refueling them to get them back in regards to triad and having, um, or maybe not necessarily triad, but in regards to hormone um, deficiencies for women and getting them back that were exercising, getting them back having their periods naturally without pharmaceutical aid um and it, it's really cool it's like a two parts uh release that they did so mary jane de souza and nancy williams but they're doing a lot of stuff up there and it's happening um 
Kate Ackerman up in Har um, up in Boston at Harvard. They actually just also started another program like kind of linked with Stanford called Stanford Faster, but without the E. Um, that just actually launched literally the other day on Instagram. They just announced it. Um, but they're doing the female athlete program. So there are, it's starting to come. Like people are, that's the beauty of what Reds did is Reds really highlighted what we do and don't know when it comes to females versus males, what we do and don't know versus able-bodied and non-able-bodied, right? Because mm -hmm. um, we don't even know kind of that physiology of, a, you know, what does it mean if you are, you know, you lose half your limb of your leg versus an arm. We, we don't really know that very well. We kind of have assumptions. We kind of treat people the same way. Uh, we treat kids the same way. So mm -hmm. we should be having different regulations and, and, and things for children that are prepubescent. And we don't even know what that looks like. But they want to ignore these massive sides, the mental health, because in, in regards to mental health, especially like eating disorders, restrictive behaviors, fueling your body, you're ignoring what that actually means. Um, you know, you're ignoring sleep, you're ignoring some key aspects that we know work on performance, but all you really care about is get in the weight room, run, 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 be small, be as lean as you can, be as small as you can, and this will work for you. And it's not working for you. People are breaking, people are having issues and males and females, and it's, you know, like wrestlers, I've always get so mad about wrestlers when they make you drop a weight class. Mm. And I'm like, and then you wonder why they just lost. You made them lose 10 pounds in five days. And then you wonder why they can't wrestle at a high level. Like this is not mm. rocket science people, um, you know? So it's, it is frustrating. And, but again, you know, either be part of the problem or part of the solution. So. Mm -hmm hopefully we can be part of the solution as opposed to the problem. And I think that's why I like our cats so much, right? Is, is it's countering what people believe birth control does for women in regards to bone health. And it's not doing what we think it's doing. Mm -hmm. And, but the problem is we still have doctors prescribing birth control when you don't have a period in hopes of helping your, your bone health, but it's not over counter birth control is not doing what we think it does. Um, and so that's why I think it's, really cool that we did that little you know cat paper out there it's kind of out there floating around for 25 dollars yeah apparently no, 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 it cost 25 dollars no, 24.99 i was like, I was like it's high quality i searched it and i was like you know what i'm gonna be a good co-host and read my other co-host cat paper without telling mm -hmm. her like it's a surprise and i search it online and it's like you can get i got the abstracts like you can read the rest for 24.99 and i'm like what <laughs> Like, dang. But yeah, um, it's like under human kinetics or something like that. I forget what it was. I just saw the price and I, was, and I just hit the X button and said, nope. I'm asking Liz for it. <laughs> oh, I hope not everybody takes that philosophy. <clears throat> I like my cat paper. I want people to read it. It is a very good read. I enjoyed my first half hour of work today reading it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. good work. Um. So the information is getting out there, and I think it's just the, it, it needs to be portrayed correctly to coaches, athletes, parents. Um, so how do you actually sit down with a parent, with a coach, say, hey, like, it's okay, like, if she's not real skinny running the cross country or if she's not, you know, this figure to perform some type of aesthetic sport or just a sport in general? You know, how do you go about being a, you know, the healthcare professional to say, hey, like, it's okay to, you know, like you said, fuel your body, weight train, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I think what relationships really do matter. What What is your relationship with your coaches? What are your relationships with parents? Um, you know, that's kind of the luxury. If you work college, for example, you don't really deal that much with parents because they're already adults. Um, but in high school, you do, right? Like they're minors and you need to respect that. If they're middle school, you need to respect that, um, that the parents do have an influence on that. Um, I always go back to performance and um, something that made me really mad um, when I was working clinically is I had a kid that she was recruited at age 16 and she was a stud volleyball player, right? Blew out her ACL, ended up doing it twice in high school, back-to-back years. Um, mm. Came, and that's that's something different. That just was part of, you know, that is what it is. Came, but the thing is, is right, like she was kind of, she was one of those late bloomers where, you know, when you're 16 playing high-level sports, you look a little bit different and then kind of puberty hits you and you look a little bit different after that. And the thing is, is like, this kid was a stud though, right? She, we had to, we registered her freshman year to, to recover from her ACL, um, her second one. And then she came back. And I mean, when I mean stud, I mean, she, she went freshman player of the year. She went um, scholar athlete, like team. She also went player of the year for the whole conference. Like this, she sweeped all the awards, right? <laughs> um, fast forward two years later and the coach was having conversations in closed rooms of like, and he was tricky because he wouldn't say it outright. Like he wouldn't say you need to lose weight. He's like, this is what a volleyball player looks like. This is what a good volleyball player looks like. Or he'll say like, you, you know, you look different than when I recruited you. Uh Okay. Well, she's 21 now and not a 16 year old child. So that's one. But what's interesting is right. She's still like, when you look at her vertical, you look at, you know, what's her kill count? What, you know, you look at these, what's her blocks and she's performing at a high level and her verts up, her blocks are going well. She goes home over the summer after these conversations and she was trying to lose some weight for coach. She was, um, she sat at 21% body fat. Okay. Not fat, Mm-mm. very healthy, producing very well. So she came back on campus for preseason at 18% body fat. And before our first tournament, she was having pain in her, in her lateral uh, low leg. And I sent her real quick before we traveled to get an x-ray. Cause I was like, something's just not adding up. Like it kind of presented like a perineal strain, but I'm like, mm-hmm. she didn't have any mechanism for that. So I'm just like, let me just go. She blew up and swelled, swelled, swelled up after a really hard jumping day. And I'm like, something's not adding up. We need to go get a picture. So we get a picture. She comes back, we get, literally get on a plane. I get a phone call like on the plane I get off I check the message doc's like it's broken so she has a broken fib which that doesn't even make sense either because a fib is a 16% weight bearing bone and it's like how do you break that um you know and you know you're just looking at it and you're like okay was 3% body fat really worth her sitting out for eight weeks no never is (laughs) don't think it is and so that's where I go because that's really like the push right like what is the motive they're wanting to be skinny they How's your vert? Is it where you want it? What are your numbers in the gym? Is that where you want it? What your runs are? Like, you know, like, what are your points looking like? Uh, if you're producing, your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. So get over the size idea if you're producing the way you want to produce. Or like, what's your energy level like? You've been cutting carbs out and now you're dragging butt on sprints and coaches on your butt. Why don't we eat again and see what happens? <laughs> like, play this game with me. Let's let's eat a little bit and see what happens. Um, you know, and then same thing. I had another freshman um, female that 
she's being told to look like her her other counterparts um who were basically 11 and 12 percent body fat and so she tried to get down to 12 percent body fat lost her period um her vert started to go down we got her up to 16 percent body fat and she was amazing right like she went back to being amazing right and so it's just I try to use numbers that are factual and that are performance based to try to really get the conversation away from food and away from, you know, if it's a body image thing, but then you have to also just realize like, is this bigger than you? If this is disordered eating, if this is eating disorder, you've got to refer that out. That is not in your capability. Um, but if it's just an easy conversation of like, they're just starting to kind of just do something because they think this is the thing to do, just nip it in the bud, like catch it, nip it in the bud and just say, hey, look, your numbers are doing really well. Like you put this up in the weight room. This is awesome. Your vert's doing well, you know, and get those numbers, right? So you have them. Um, and that sometimes when they're not full-blown eating disorder kids, they're, they're going to turn right back. You kind of just turn that ship right back around. So that helps. So I'm, I'm big on, perf- and that's the point. Everything's about performance. Um, so I just try to keep using that as my friend and their friend of, it's okay to be two more percent body fat on you because you're 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 killing it on the on the scoreboard right you're killing it in the weight room you're killing it here everything's looking good and that that means a lot to them when they can say oh you're right Mm. or you're broken you know which one did you want to be (laughs) you know or now you're broken both good evidence to present to a coach be like hey listen instead of telling her to lose you know two or three percent body fat this is what she's doing now like why change it you know literally if it ain't broke don't fix it I, I made that comment. I actually did say something because I was pissed at that point. I mean, after you rehab a kid back from her second ACL, you go and tell her she's freaking fat without telling her, but she basically says she's fat and like she's not fat. I mean, this girl could put a ball down on the 10-foot line. That is – that – It's impressive. It's impressive. I mean, like – she was producing what is wrong with you like leave her alone let her do her thing i'm sorry she doesn't look like a child if you want to you're asking to be a child go teach go coach youth like right i don't know what to tell you here mm-hmm. um so hopefully you have good coaching relationships and and foster those um you know and foster those relationships um as best you can and then just educate right like really just kind of this is what healthy is this is what's you know having snacks around um, you know, I had a really great list with my assistant coaches. And so we always had really good snacks on the bus. And, um, you know, I, I don't like when coaches have rules where they like, weren't allowed to have sweets during the season. And I'm like, go sneak an ice cream at sweet frogs, please. Like <laughs> I had to tell my anorexic kid, I was like, I need you eating sweet frogs once a week. And she's like, what? And I'm like, and you can't be putting fruit on it. I need chocolate or some kind of sugar, not fruit. I'm like, you can put one fruit, but there needs to be a chocolate too, or like some type of sweet on this. And she's like, we're not allowed. I'm like, my rule is going to supersede that rule because we're talking about your health, not just breaking a, a team rule. But I think it's so dumb when like, like the fact that my athletes knew that McDonald's ice cream cone was a hundred calories. Why do you need to know that? Yeah, that's never a good sign. Right. But why do you need to know that? but that's what they figured out to like cheat the sweet rule without getting too crazy. Right. And it's like, you can have more than hundred calories from ice cream. And it won't kill you. Well, those machines might because they're dirty and, inf- <laughs> and they're, actually, they're always broken too. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, I think, I think it's hard and I think it's an uphill battle and it's, it's also, 
this is why I, like this is my soapbox is like coaches need to actually be better educated I, mm. there are a lot of coaches that get jobs because they were a player mm-hmm. and that is not the same as having an exercise science degree understanding you know what that means and demands and knowing how to periodize you know like when you watch a coach get pissed and just make your athletes run suicides for example you know that they don't know what they're doing because they're like they can't make those times after three because you're not giving them appropriate rest like this is just simple extra science at this point like you're put like you're putting them on a one-to-one like you know like 30 seconds you know 20 second sprint and like 10 second rest i'm like they're not gonna keep making these times like what are you doing like but if you were an extra science person and you had a background in understanding all this you would know Okay, make them run suicides, but give them the ability to recover physically from it. Um, you know, so things like that. And so it's just frustrating that, you know, coaches need to step up. And like you'll see this with weightlifting, uh, with strength coaches, they're actually starting to require, they're shifting it now. And to be a strength conditioning um, certified coach, you're going to have to have a degree um, mm-hmm. and programs are starting to pop up. And so that's a really positive thing because, you know, there are some strength coaches out there that cause problems for our athletes and health reasons. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I think it's a long road, unfortunately, and it always goes back to education and relationships. Um, and then just keep dismantling, like, you know, you know, getting into conferences, getting into the coaches meetings, you know, if you're at a high school, get in with your AD and have a really good relationship with your AD, because then you can have coaches meetings and you can be at coaches meetings so that you know in front of your AD these are the things we've talked about and you can include the nutrition in that as well as your heat policies and restrictions. You can have policies that coaches can't ask to have their athletes weighed, right? We can, we can create policies like that. Um, or you can ask if like they want them weighed and then whatnot, we can give them the average of saying, yep, they fell on the team average. Like they're in, the, in like, we never have to actually give out numbers, right? We don't have to tell anyone numbers, including the athletes. You know, if you want your athlete weighed, do we need to tell our athlete what they weigh? Like those are kind of conversations and some policies that exist. Um, you know, but then you have some some people that just their coaches can weigh them every week, and you're like, what? Why are you weighing them every week? You know, so it's yeah, it's it's that's a complicated question, and there are solutions. It's just not solutions that people want to deal with, and blame like right like part of the problem are coaches, but no one wants to address that. Mm-hmm. Generally, I think recently actually there was a school who made it like a rule that like coaches actually like they can't ask like body weight, body fat. Um, that's only kept between the athlete um, and the proper, you know, medical people who need to know what that is. Yeah. So good for them on that part. I forget what school it is, um, but. We have a celebrity guest question for you, Dr. Moore. Oh, okay. It's from Anne. She would like to know what the return to play recommendations are um, from an athlete re- for an athlete recovering from Reds. Oh, English. Yeah. So um, the triad actually has a night. They both actually Reds and triad have suggestions for that. Um, and I think it depends on how far down the line they are. So if they are, you know, if, if your patient is full blown eating disorder and broken, like right, broken bones, things like that. That's obviously going to be a very different situation if it's someone that is even with an eating disorder slash disordered eating behaviors and lost menstruation for a female but not really broken and they can still kind of perform if you will 
are they fueling themselves? And if they're not, then we don't participate and kind of looking into that situation. Um, at college, again, it's a lot more controllable. So you can have a policy where, um, you know, you have to maintain your count. Usually if you're full blown eating disorder, you're going to be seeing the dietitian as well as psych, um, you know, some type of counseling. And if you're not making those appointments or doing your job on those ends, then we're not participating in sport. Like we'll pull you from sport. If you are going to those, you're making progress. We'll allow minutes, you know, it's kind of a, that, that kind of a game thing. So it is kind of um, a graded return, um, but it depends on where you're starting from. So if you're starting broken, obviously we need to heal the bones first. You're not playing on broken bones generally. Um, it's like a finger and you're a runner, you'll be fine but you're not breaking your finger when you're running, um, you're going to break a leg. So uh, I think, I think it depends a little bit that, but it is graded. And I think really changing the participation level is really what it is. But yeah, I, I think you have to be careful and you have to make those individual contracts with athletes of what that looks like, because you don't want to send them. If they're doing this because of athletics and then you just completely cut athletics out, that could go really in a very bad direction. Um, so unless it's absolutely detrimental to them, my thing is kind of using athletics as the, the positive reinforcement of we need to get healthy and we want you performing and we want you out here, but we need you to be healthy to do that. So if we continue to do healthy habits, we continue to play, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can add more minutes into this, right? Maybe we cut them down minutes at practice and in games. And as you continue to get healthier, we'll keep giving you those minutes back, right? We keep getting you back into practices and things like that. Um, and again, both the triad and the reds have progressions um, and recommendations, but it really kind of does come a little bit down to your clinical decision-making and it has to be very individual. Um, but I, I'm leery to completely cut somebody off unless they have like a broken leg or a broken foot where they're not cleared to play. But if, if they're full and if they come to you and we figure it out, it didn't just like happen that day, right? Like it's, not acute so they've been playing this way anyway so let's keep them going as long as we're in the right direction if you're stop going you know if you're not going in the right direction you're not doing the healthy habits anymore then i'm going to start cutting play again because i can't have you doing that right i can't have you being unhealthy and playing now that i'm aware but if you're being healthy i'll let you keep playing because right because we're going in the right direction so that's kind of and then you just decide what that looks like i think individually between you the rd psych um doc whoever is making those decisions with you is taking a look at numbers in like the weight room you know <clears throat> if we're hitting whatever just arbitrary 225 on squat for three reps and so be like hey i want you at you know back at 225 235 for three before we even kind of consider where we're yeah i think so i mean i think it depends on the sport that is like what's good for your sport, right? So take a volleyball player, right? What's to me, a vert is more important than their max squat or right. rep squat. Um, so what does that vert look like? Are we back? Are we missing our vert? How, how far off of that vert are we? Um, you can look at body fat percentages and, and kind of know. So my one kid that I was telling you about that went down to 12, but we got her back to 16 she didn't get her period back at 16. She'd get it back at 19%. And she would only get that when she would go home. But the minute she got back on campus and was exercising at high levels, she dropped back down to 16. And that was our agreement of like, I'll look and I'm going to tell you you're good. 
And when you're not good, that means you're below 16. And she, you know, we're kind of talking about that, those ideas. And so you can use different numbers. You can use performance. Um, if they're a basketball player or a runner, like what times are going to be really easy to use, right? Um, whatever you're kind of using in preseasons to use as qualifiers. So like soccer players do, um, you know, 300s. Basketball players sometimes do 300s. Like what does that time look like? Where are they sitting at with that time? how are they recovering from those those events? Because they might be able to actually hit, right? Like they could hit, but how effortful was that? So getting an RPE number on that, right? Um, kind of things and, and moving forward. Um, and, then, and then being manageable. Because the thing too is, especially if they're restricting their food on purpose and it is a full-blown eating disorder, that's going to be hard to eat again. And ideally you want them eating those nutrients, but you know, Gatorade's, calorically expensive and it, it can be a good tool so like something we did with my my kid um because she was full-blown anorexic at this point and we had to increase by 250 we were trying to increase her calories by 250 for a couple weeks um and we had a plan i showed her what 250 calories look like it's really not that much right it's a little bit peanut butter mm -hmm. it's not that much um and two days in she's like i can't do it and i was like can you drink gatorade She's like, yeah. I'm like, so we had a secret bottle of Gatorade at practices. And if she drank a whole thing of Gatorade, do you know how many calories that is? I'm going to say like 250, I hope. 300. Yeah. So, um, so we were able to supplement that first week. And then I told her, hey, I, I'm going to want to bring this down to half a bottle and then maybe a granola bar, right? Like, let's try and get half a granola bar. So like, we had to slowly train her body to eat again too because that's also a problem of they don't know how to eat they have a lot of anxiety about eating um you know but so it, it may not always be performance number wise it, it could also just be i need these kind of calories or i need this increase of a calorie are we hitting it and how can we be creative about hitting it so as long as we're going in the correct direction and whatever is meaningful i think to your patient it could be sprints it could be verts it could be calories um, you know, I, I think those are all viable options. It could be body fat percentage. It could just be weight. Um, and I wouldn't tell them those numbers, like the weight and the, the body fat, but it could still be meaning whatever's meaningful, I think to your athletes is going to be the best tool, um, in that regard. That's a good question though. Yeah. You've got your cat paper published or is in future publishing. I'm not sure how that works, but it's published. Oh, oh, it's yeah. out. Well, the copy Liz sent me says it's like in publishing. It hasn't been published yet. So I didn't know if it was, you know, fully out yet. Uh, what was that like? I mean, just I've heard Liz, you know, the, the corrections you have to make, the submitting, resubmitting, getting it back. You know, what was that process like? You know, what were the challenges that it brought? Um, and kind of what was the most rewarding part um, at the end? Yeah, so I, I think for me, well, one, first and foremost, research is like this really interesting, almost like abusive relationship mm -hmm. where you're gaslit of like, suck it up, just accept it, you know, accept it kind of. And you do, you don't have a choice. Um, so it's this really weird thing that you get yourself into when you go into like research mode in that regard. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me was being the mentor and trying to explain to a newbie person, like newbie researcher, this is part of the process. This is, and like, nope, this is a frustrating, like, this is frustrating, yes, but we still got to kind of pick and choose where we're just going to like suck it up 
pay the piper, if you will. And, it, and I think the frustrating part was I knew we had a good paper. And I do think some of the, a lot of the comments really did make it better. But then there were also, it's just frustrating to, and then we had a frustrating part because we went into one journal and they made us do three, was it three total revisions with them? Four. We did four revisions the first time. Oh gosh. Yeah. So we went through four revisions, which is a little excessive. Usually it's about two to three. Yeah. It was a lot. Reject you at that point. They're like, just you're done. Right. So to go through four, I'm like, there's no way they're going to reject us now. Like by mm-hmm. having us do this over and over again. And then they did. And I'm like, that was blindsiding for me. Cause I'm like, I've never gone that many revisions and not been accepted on something. Um, and then to have that, and to turn around and try to be the mentor to two students that are like, what? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, you know, but I'm, I'm really am proud of them. I think it's one of my things is like, I'm proud of their resiliency. And then we went to another journal and it was really interesting because we had like very minor comments and it was like done. Like, I think Liz and I spent 10 minutes yeah, very few comments back on the second journal. And then it was like, we're good. And we're like, so it couldn't be more polar of, but you know, the edits that we did get obviously made the paper better, which is why it was probably easier to get in. Um, but, and that's part of research is, is picking the right journals. Um, and sometimes you think it's a good journal and, but then they don't think it is, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes they're like, no, we don't want this right now. Um, I will say it's unfortunate because of my experience with grant writing, with research, trying to publish um, I tend not to go towards our profession anymore because I, I just keep getting rejected. Like I actually, I got an email today from someone I was working with. Um, I put a proposal in for our national conference and I haven't gotten the no email, but I know for a fact we're not accepted because all the, all of the acceptance went out. And if you don't have one, it's a no. Um, and, but ACSM, for example, I've never been, when I've submitted something or something that I've been on, whether it's an abstract or something, I we've gotten in like we get into ACSM they want our research they you know I've had other colleagues and doc students that have gotten grants from ACSM you know and so it's just kind of interesting of like knowing the audience and figuring that out um but yeah I think so for me like the most proud part was just the resiliency of like we got rejected after four revisions I thought it was just three um I must have blocked out four yeah but, you know, that resiliency, because it is hard when you're getting told to fix this and fix this and you're proud of your own product and they're like, no, we don't like this. And you're like, what? Like, oh, I don't agree. Or like, I don't, there's some comments that you're like, I don't agree with this at all. Um, you know, I ran into that with my paper that I just got published recently um, using certain measurements with eating disorder. This this one person went back and forth three times with me on it. And I'm like, no, I'm not backing down. <laughs> like. I know I'm right on this, like, you know, and there were some moments of, you know, so that's, that resiliency is, I'm really proud of you guys for like sticking with it and, and finding that second journal and, and getting it published. Um, Cause it's hard and it's defeatist at times when you are proud, you put all this work in and then they're like, this is crap. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> you're like, fine, I'll, I'll fix it. And then they're like, still crap. You're like, okay. it's 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 not a good it's not a fun world always but it's it's great Mm -hmm. when it finally gets out and you know i think it's a cool thing that separates you know you and Ange out that you've published you know some work 
which I don't think everyone can say coming out of a master's professional program. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, I took um, I took everything weirdly personal with publishing. Like I feel like uh, otherwise I'm I can separate like me from from work. But there are some of those comments that I was like, are you coming for me right now? Because I'm ready to fight. Like, l- let's go. I'll meet you at I'll meet you at 7-Eleven. Okay. Yeah. Catch these hands. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was really um, eye opening to why we don't have more athletic training research. Like n- clinicians do not have time to revise a paper four times just to be told no and then have to resubmit and start the process over again at another journal. So in that sense, it was really frustrating for me of like, how do you expect to grow the body of research for athletic trainers when you're not there? I mean, like you obviously have to be critical and you have to have quality research, but like eventually you're just making it difficult just to be difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can, and so when we talk about revisions, um, so you have your you have your document, okay, and they're they're making comments, and it's line by line of of comments of like this line, like my favorite to this day was the there was one word, and the the reviewer was like, "Do you need this one word in the sentence?" <laughs> so the problem is, is every time they make a comment or have a revision for you or make a suggestion or just say no that we don't want this um you have to then have a separate so you have to like fix it in your document highlight it but then you also have to address every single comment so that's mm-hmm. just one round of revisions is addressing every single comment um and you don't have to change everything right but you still have to address it so then you're like you know there were times where there was a couple comments where we were like no so and so said this and blah 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 and we rewrote this for this reason because of so and so da 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 and like so then you're having to go get that literature to make sure you're like not making this mm-hmm. up and like confirming that you know don't lie to the reviewer you know like don't misquote somebody else you know um the super scholarly clapback <laughs> yeah and you have to write it in a very weird way because you can't use eyes or like the authors felt thank you reviewer for bringing this to our attention like like it's just weird and it's like you're angry and you're like typing mm. really hard and you're like, like I'm Kermit, just gonna be nice. Uh, the meme of Kermit the Frog on the typewriter <laughs> just like frantically. Yeah, you're like yeah. um you know, and then you have to like pick and choose your battles of like what hill am I willing to die on or not. Um I I got a little mad when people try to like throw references at me when I feel like I'm pretty I you know, there are some things I do know, like like, you know, like, I'm familiar. You know, I can whip out names and like studies because I know when they were from. I feel pretty good. I've read them like for five, six years straight now. Um, I, I've referenced them in my own, you know, articles that I've published. And so when you're like, oh, what about so and so from 2007? And I'm like, it's 2019. No, no, we're not using them. We're going to use a 14 and a 20, like, or an 18 first. So like, no, we're not going to use a seven. Like, don't come at me with literature that I know. I'm the actual expert here on this. Like, hold up. You know, that's where I got a little offended. And then you have to, like, check your ego, calm down. <laughs> and then you write back, respectfully, thank you for the suggestion. We will look at, like, authors have looked into that. However, we feel so-and-so from 2018 represents this research better. Like, you know, like, you're just like, come on. So that's one round of revision. And then you send it off, and you're like, okay. And then you get it back, <laughs> and you have to redo it all over again. And then you have to redo it all over again. And then you have to redo it. All- and then we actually had, we were asked to do something 
that was not in other papers of this journal. We remember we had to like take the interaction, like the um, the interactions, and put them into a table and. Oh yeah, Ugh. just like statistic stuff that made no impact on any of the research that we were talking about. It had no effect on our paper, but they were like, we just kind of want this table. That was a hill I was gonna die on. I was not gonna do that. <laughs> and all these, I did it. Um, I took one for the team. I had to call the person and ask them, like, what do you mean? Because I've never had... Never seen this before. I, I even talked with Dr. Hall and Dr. Lopez, because, like, right when I was there, and I was like, and they published in this journal, and they were like, yeah, well, I've never had to do that. And I'm like, we're looking at other... I mean, we went back through other, you know, articles published, and it was not in their articles. And I'm sitting here like, not, you know, not to be all big in the shoes, but, you know, it's hard when you know you've got a good product, and then you're looking at something that's published, and you're like... Why are they not accepting ours? Like, I feel like at a minimum, we're equal to that paper that's published. And, um, you know, so again, it's challenging. And, and you know, they, they, the point is to make the paper better. And I mean, I've been a reviewer and it's usually reviewer two. And I have been a reviewer two. <laughs> but I also am very mindful of my, I give real suggestions. I don't, I think that's the other thing too, is reviewers are sometimes are like, you know, they, I don't want to say this. They just, like, don't care for something, and they feel like because they don't care for it, something else could be better. Yeah. Uh, or they just say something, like, oh, my favorite is, like, they had, like, one word from our paper and then question mark. And I'm like, what does that mean? Right. What, what do you mean by this question mark? This. So I'm very cognizant as a reviewer that, you know, like, one paper I was reviewing, they reported all of their um, results via statistical testing. And that's just not really how you usually do that. You do it by your aims. And so I wrote that out. I was like, you need to redo your results section completely. You need to report your your findings via your aims. And I copied their aims like down, be like, aim one, report your, your results from this. And then aim mm -hmm. two, report. So like, I at least try to help because I know what it's like to be on the other side of like, what does that mean? <laughs> so it, it's frustrating to say the least. But generally, um, the reviewers are trying to make your paper better. They're trying to make sure that it's high quality enough for that journal. Um, and then it comes down to fit. I think that's the biggest issue. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, but, it, I mean, it was fun, right? Woo. We got good memories I mean, now because of it. Yeah, we got yeah. 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 It's out. That's what matters. It's out mm -hmm. and you're published. And um, I think it is a good cat. I think it, it's kind of on the forefront of the conversations that are happening now um yeah. in regards to women and um i think it's cool that's the only thing that really gives me solace it makes it worth all of the the five uh, total revisions yeah the like 15 documents that i think are still somewhere on my hard drive of different versions of our cat that like it's important information and i'm glad that it's out there and that people will hopefully reference it when they make decisions and God willing, an athletic trainer will step up and tell a provider, like, no, you're not giving my athlete birth control pills to give her a period back because that's not a real thing. Yeah, and, no, uh, we just need to feed her, right? Feed her. Right. It'll come back. Um, yeah. So if that helps one patient, then I think it was worth it. But um, I, I was convinced I was growing gray hair through that process. <laughs> you probably did. It's okay. It was, and again, that's that was one of the biggest struggles of trying to be the mentor of like I knew that was coming at us 
but then we also got to like fourth revision where I'm like this is not normal how do I keep them okay when I'm now mad and I'm like not understanding why we have this many revisions (laughs) either (laughs) because I said I was like be prepared we're probably gonna have to do two to three revisions right like I was like these are the steps that's Mm -hmm. gonna happen like they'll either completely reject it straight out so like that's the first win if they don't if they send it to someone to review that's another win um you know and I was like so we got these quick wins and then it was like no 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 it's like "Mm, sorry (laughs) don't know what to tell you now um but yeah no it's it's cool that it's out and and I, I completely agree with your comment about you know having clinicians put out research um at this rate like right like there's not a lot of avenues for field studies right we we want things to be laboratory especially in those big journals um but clinicians aren't going to have those they're going to have field stuff they're going to have just a smaller population and it doesn't mean it's not worthy to understand or know what's going on um you know and but yet we don't give avenue to that and then we make it incredibly difficult and it's like a year-long process that took us December I think you put it in and we didn't get it through until July August the the next year yeah I think it was August right yeah so eight months for a cat paper we're not even talking like a randomized control trial not a case study like just a cat paper Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so and I think that's the other issue right of so much for a clinician is going to happen in that window that unless they're tied to you know a, a researcher like those that stuff's not getting out which is a shame because i think that you guys clinically and when i was working clinically we have a lot of cool stuff that we could mm-hmm. be showing and seeing in, in live like happening now you know and we're not getting that data unfortunately unless a researcher is going to come out and interrupt your whole schedule like you know like it just to be able to make it worthy of the research we're gonna have to like really mess up your schedules and it's just it just makes it really difficult unfortunately not impossible just difficult and you've got to have the right recipe of the right coaches the right researchers you know um i will say south carolina does a really nice job of that like they have some really great coaches that really allow researchers to come in um you know so yeah, they're pretty good model to follow. Well, kudos to both of you and Ange, Thanks. who's obviously been on the podcast. I submitted my paper yeah. for a grade, and that was that. So, <laughs> um, I just kind of looked. I just I submitted it, and I was like, you know, I think this is a pretty good cat, but I just don't think me myself, um, along with my partner, like we just I don't think we were willing to like like you said do the revisions like over time because I think we were kind of looking at the point where it's like all right like we're gonna graduate like do we really want to do this like this is pre COVID like we didn't really think this was gonna happen, um, you know we just kind of said like yeah like you know we can but I don't think like you know we're willing to do those revisions and you know and keep going but I still thought we had a pretty good cat but uh, I did enjoy reading yours this morning it was a good way to start off my Friday felt like I I learned something very good so. And I think research like that, like we kind of been talking about, is is really good to kind of come to the forefront in the topic we discussed today. Um, and I think, kind of back to a comment you said, like you um, try to submit to journals like the ASCM, um, and I think submitting to other journals outside of athletic training just kind of makes us look 
a little bit better because it's like, oh, like an athletic trainer submitted this to a different journal about, you know, like a strength training journal or, you know, physical therapy journal. So it just kind of gives us more credibility and kind of helps our profession grow um, to kind of let everyone know, like, hey, like, we kind of know what we're talking about. We can do, we can do some pretty cool stuff as well. Hmm. Well, if anyone is trying to find this cat paper that we've been talking about really vaguely for a while now, it's called Does Supplemental Estrogen Improve Bone-Related Symptoms of Female Athlete Triad in Female Athletes? A critically appraised topic. And it's in the Journal of Sport Rehabilitation. Uh, you can just uh, just just email polos and khakis at gmail.com <laughs> and we will send you a hard copy of it. We'll send you the free one. <laughs> Correct. Uh, it's true. And it's a quick read. It's a cat paper, so it's not going to take you yeah. like three 15, hours to get minutes. through. Quick read. Yeah. But if you if you need the summary, it says don't give your female athletes birth control pills for for female athlete triad purposes. If they just don't want to have babies, you do you. But <laughs> but if you want bone health, the pills are not doing it. Pills are not doing it. Yeah. Food is good. That's what we learned today. <laughs> Dan, do you want to hit Dr. Marth our standard question? Yes, I would love to. Our standard question is, what advice do you have for any young athletic trainers, uh, young, still in school, midlife crisis, whatever you think they're at in their career, uh, what what advice do you have for them? Oh, that's a lot of range. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think follow your passion. Um, and that's going to change, right? It's going to change as you grow, as you, you might get disenfranchised with certain either cultures that you might be involved in and whatnot, but follow your passion. And if you, and, and that means getting involved, right? So that means like what you're talking about, how do we fix something? Well, be part of the solution. So follow that passion, whether that means within your conference, within your state um, group, your district, national committees, and really kind of causing change. If you're on a college, can you get on some committees, um, especially, you know, for example, hiring coaches. You're like, I wanna be on the, the hiring committee for a coach coming in, because I wanna be able to ask these questions before they in the door, right? Like those, if something as small as that can work. So follow your passions um, and find people, if you can't do something, find people that can. So like we we're talking about research, if you want to know answer to a question, reach out to somebody that's doing research. We're out here and we're nerds, so we will be happy to help you. Um, I've never met someone on, on like the academic side so far that because if you ask a question they don't know, you might have just spawned a research project for them. And, you know, so there you go. Um, so just follow your passion, I think, is the biggest thing. And just realize that that's going to take you um, down different paths, but it'll never fail, fail you if you follow your passion. I like it. Same. Okay, time for. I feel like this is gonna get a little bit heated. We do. Oh <laughs> we do a little bit. We we finish our our new episodes now with a little segment called this or that. Okay. 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 So, so here we go. First one: uh, northeast or southeast of the United southeast. States. Southeast. Nice, Dr. Moore. I'd love to hear. I'm going to go northeast. The reason I've never been above the north, the Mason-Dixon line, for a reason, since I left. Not been back. Sorry, go ahead. I think I'm going to go northeast. I still kind of like, I enjoy my winters. I don't know. 
Sorry. You went back to Pennsylvania, so that says enough. Us smart Shout people out. are staying in the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, female athlete triad or Reds? In terms female of... Female athlete triad. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I was expecting you to hit me with the Reds, I'm not going to lie. I think I lean more towards Reds than She kind of answered triad. that question in the, in the beginning. She kind of said, like, she really likes... Mm-hmm the triad and i think that specifically the female athlete triad has a lot more research strength to it the Mm -hmm. reds is is still new um and the reds is the the one the biggest issue i have with the reds is it's trying to combine males and females and we have like 200 years i think at this point of physiological research showing that males and females are different so we can't lump them together um and then also able-bodied versus non-bodied. We we don't. I don't think we can lump all of them together. Like that's just too many. So I think from a clinical standpoint, Reds is really helpful. But I think from a pure research and when are we going to get these answers? I think the athlete triad for females is really well established, and we know what's going on. We know how to kind of make corrections. Um, and I think Reds just needs more time to truly understand that. But I still think I'll never truly be a hundred percent because i don't want to lump males and females together because i just don't think we can so that's why not that i don't like reds but you just gave me a choice of this or that so. <laughs> hey you you're playing the game properly so we we appreciate it we okay do, we do. research or clinical setting you've done both i have done both oh that's a tricky question i don't know I'd say research. Mm, interesting. Because your research can keep you in a clinical area if you wanted to. Um, I, I think I, I think the demands put on athletic trainers right now and the demands of travel and that lack of work-life balance and compensation, financial compensation, is just not worth it anymore. Whereas I can still do the things I'm passionate about with research if and be out at clinical sites and working with athletes if I wanted to be, right? I don't have to be in a lab. I could still be out there so I can kind of get what I want that way and still go home and not be on a four-day travel cycle for an mm-hmm. entire month. I agree. Fair. We, uh, yeah. I had a, we had a wrestling match this past week, and the team that we wrestled is in our conference, so they're Division three, but their wrestling team is Division division one quote unquote like they wrestled army they this weekend they're in uh, new hand or connecticut wrestling sacred heart like they wrestled d1 and like the lady was just like yeah like on the weekends i travel i come home sunday i unpack my bag i do my laundry i keep it in the laundry till about thursday or friday and then i repack and it's just like a constant cycle and i'm like yeah that's what uh, volleyball i traveled four days a week in september the whole month it's insane so it's it's meant for some people and it's just not meant for others so if you like doing that if you like being on a bus you know three four days a week then cool um, and i did for a while yeah. and then i got to a point where i didn't and so i pivoted you know but like you knew it was bad when i i got my first dog athena she started she was four months old when september hit and so she started remembering pack a bag mom's leaving for multiple days and not taking me with you because of that of that travel schedule where I was just gone the, for an entire month. And she's like, huh? Um, you know, so even if I packed her stuff, she's still stressed out. And I'm like, I'm taking you with me this time. But yeah, so you know that's bad when your dog's getting stressed out by packing bags. <laughs> You're like, hmm, 
So now it's working out. But yeah. All right, what's next? All right, here we go. I specifically picked this question to start a fight, Dr. Moore. I'm going to put am... that on the record. <laughs> okay. For the record, I am willing to die on this hill. As am I. And I, there's probably like three or four hills that I'm willing to die on in terms of arguments, and this is for sure one of them. Okay. Sheets or Wawa? Ooh. Oh, that's mean. Um, <laughs> oh. That's not fair. Um, that that's not that that's not fair. Um, <laughs> Dan and I both have very strong opinions. A couple years ago, I probably would have said sheets. <sighs> I think now I'm more of a Wawa. Yes, victory. <laughs> sheets definitely's got the better better fries. If you're gonna, I, I would not get fries at Wawa, mm. but I think Wawa has a better selection of like breakfast foods. Um, they both have really clean bathrooms. I do yes. like that. Um, great great rest. I mean, to really throw like a wrench in the system, Loves they've got dog parks when you're traveling. So, yeah, that's not that's not, that's not part of the argument, Doctor Moore. Don't. I'm just nope. saying. No, no I, I think Wawa. I think I'm 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 officially a Wawa girl. You know, yes. they both have free tire fills, but I That's I don't cute. know. I I think I think Wawa, the quality of food is a little bit better mm-hmm. for me out of Wawa. A hundred percent. Sheets will have a bigger menu, but will the food be as good? Absolutely not. Like their burrito, their their burrito like breakfast thing is really good. They've got a really good chicken panini at Wawa. Mm-hmm. Like I mean. But can you get a chicken sandwich with mozzarella sticks on it at Wawa? I but I would never eat that. So. But you have the choice of doing that at Cheats. Here's here's my thing. I <laughs> I will give Wawa its chops. Like if <laughs> if I'm in a pinch and I have like two and a half three minutes to like grab something in a gas station and go, I'm probably I hope there's a Wawa around because they have better grab and go stuff like subs wraps things like that they also have the the jocko go fuel mm-hmm. really like those sheets needs to go get on those like asap because then i'll literally buy stock in them because they're really good but if i want to like go into a gas station and i want to go to like a touchscreen mto menu i want sheets yeah because the selection's just the you're like your own artist like you can literally create any type of sandwich sub what what you want you can do the same thing at Wawa. No, you can't. Don't be. Can you, yes, can you, you can. Can you roll in there and hit the screen and say, I'm going to have mozzarella sticks, mac and cheese bites, and jalapeno poppers at the same time? No, you cannot. But still, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You have you have the option of doing that at Sheets. At Wawa, it's boring. Now, I will say, the one thing on the MTO menu that might be better than some Sheets stuff is Wawa's mac and cheese with chicken tenders on top. See, and no, that... That is it. Other, no. other than that... No. All right. The quality of Wawa is just better. No, it's no, like no, when no. you go... We're like picking between fine hairs here. Like Wawa's, just, Wawa's I mean, they're both great. Yeah, I think she's much better too. I always recommend when people are traveling, especially up 81, I will actually tell you where the Wawa's versus the sheets start and when the Wawa's pick up again. Um, so, you know, if you're going up and down 81, avoid 95, no offense to 95. Hating on 95? 
Yeah, don't go 95. In the South, it's different. I mean, in Northeast 95. South 95 oh, is no. a very different conversation. Listen, I've spent many... dumb. I spent many times on 95 from Jacksonville, Florida, all the way up to D.C. Mm-hmm. That's a long haul. But oh, it didn't dang. get rough till D.C., did it? Mm, exactly. Northern North Carolina, Southern Virginia, around there. That's uh-uh, why it kind of uh-uh. got rough. It gets bad. It gets bad in Pennsylvania. Because the... 95 is not in Pennsylvania. 95 goes yes, up to Pennsylvania? No, it doesn't. 100%. 100% yes, it goes the, way, the entire East the Coast. Way, no, no, no. The way I go is... Oh, that's different then. I but go, 90, it goes up the entire East Coast. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I've never been on that part of the 95. But I'm still dying on the hill. Okay. I'm still dying on the hill that cheats is better than Wawa. Let's not avoid the... That's fine. That's fine. I mean, you're splitting hairs. I mean, they're both... If you're in a jam and you see a sheets or Wawa, that's your destination. Go for it. Like, go. You can die on your hill while I eat my Wawa. <laughs> but do you have like? But this is the other thing, though. Like, this is this is why it's a hard question. Do you have a Sheets and Wawa in the same facility, like yes. b- like vicinity? Mm-hmm. Where in PA? PA, we got it all. Oh, that's that's pretty much the only state that I think has both. Uh, Maryland and Virginia, I think, have both. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, Maryland you, definitely does. You worked at Liberty, so I know you've been there. What is your go-to cookout order? <laughs> I've know you've I know you've been there. I've actually never been to cookout, but one of my athletes, they they were really sweet. My tennis boys, they um they brought me so a chocolate uh, Oreo chocolate shake. So I will go with that. That's the only cookout I eat. I don't eat out a lot, like especially at rest, like my fast food is like Chipotle, like mm. once every like two months or three. Cadoba is better than Chipotle. Okay, no. That's another hill. No. I don't know if I wanted. <laughs> I don't know if I'm willing to die on that hill. Actually, I'm definitely because it's wrong. It's definitely right, but don't worry about that. That's not a hill you should even approach. Mo's, I'll give you Kidoba, but mm, I don't know. I think I'm going Mo's. I do love me some Mo's. Um, but yeah, if you go to cookout, you got to get the tray with chicken uh, tenders and a quesadilla, and then you get a milkshake as a drink. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't eat out much, so I um, especially junk food stuff. The only time I'll eat there, like those kind of foods, is if I'm traveling. Mm. Well. On your way back to Charlottesville, I know there's, there's probably a cookout around there somewhere. So <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> Excited for doing. Thanks for letting me do this. Thanks for coming on. It's a topic that I am uh, uh, passionate about, obviously, since we yeah. suffered for it. But, yeah, you're gonna uh, hear uh, you're gonna hear yeah. Liz and Doctor Moore's voice a lot more than mine in this. Uh, <laughs> at least at least in the first like hour, fifteen minutes, in the last fifteen minutes, I go off on my sheets rant. <laughs> I get my I get my voice in there. Yeah. yeah. On, on the real important topics of life. Yes. The hard hitting <laughs> questions of life. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our uh hopefully you enjoyed our sheets and highway talk to, to finish the I show. I did. Well thanks again, Dr. Moore, jumping on. It was great to have you. Uh yeah, thanks. thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, remember who you are. And make good choices. <laughs>